This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. Happy you can join me. Man, an action-packed week in so many ways. Well, we got nine weeks in the books, eight weeks to go. We're 52% of the way done with the regular season. Much to my surprise, quite honestly, there is not a single game outstanding that has to be made up at the end of the season. May be made up, may not be made up. But we're going to get into that a lot in this podcast today. We are going to start our pod today, this week, um, entering week 10 of the NFL season with Troy Vincent, the NFL Vice President of Football Operations. A big day as we talk today, Tuesday, November 10, a big day in the NFL because the NFL uh, passed a significant rules change to try to improve, uh, you know, the pathways to head coaching jobs for more minorities, number one. And then number two, they also passed a rule for this year for one year only to increase the number of playoff teams per conference to eight. That has a little bit of an asterisk on it because it's not certain there will be eight. First of all, the NFL Players Association has to approve it. Secondly, there has to be a reason for it. In other words, there need to be extra games left to be played at the end of the year, but we'll get into that, um, uh, you know, significantly and explain all the details that uh, of that to you with Troy Vincent. And also, I'm really happy to have on the podcast this week, Emmanuel Ogba, uh, the pass rusher for the Miami Dolphins, a really big key to their success in their four-game winning streak. The Dolphins, as everybody knows, have sort of risen um, you know, in the last four weeks from a total non-contender to now at five and three, nipping at the heels of the Buffalo Bills atop the AFC East. Happy to have Emmanuel Ogbon. Uh, but first, <clears throat> I want to get into a little bit of where we are. Um, and I know that you probably get tired of me sometimes writing about it, talking about it, but it's just, I think it's going to be a big factor. And that is, uh, COVID-19 and its impact on the NFL season. Just uh, this week, uh, I have noticed, I mean, last Friday, I was shown the NFL report for the day, for one day of the positive tests for players and of essential NFL personnel, meaning every team designates 
a number of people, coaches, uh, staff, front office, uh, trainers, equipment people who all touch the players. So last Friday alone, there were 15 positive tests among players and essential personnel. For the week, 41 uh, personnel, key personnel, and 15 players. So just think about that. In one week, the NFL had 56 positive tests. And, you know, so for eight or nine weeks, the league's doing, relatively speaking, fantastic. But now what you're seeing is what's going on in the United States. Five consecutive days of over 100,000 cases in the United States. Basically, more than 1,000 people are dying every day uh, from COVID in this country. And so it would be just, uh, you know, very surprising if it didn't hit the NFL. You see it all over college football. I just saw today that uh, Alabama and LSU, which is one of the great rivalries in college football, can't be played this weekend because of numerous positive COVID tests. So I only tell you this just to say that what I said in May and what I wrote in May is coming to roost. And that is you need to just accept the fact that in this year, you are going to have to put up with things that in a normal year you would not put up with. But you need to understand that a game might be postponed and not made up, and that team might make the playoffs over a team that might have played more games. And I think we all need to understand as we head down the road this one sentence. Life isn't fair sometimes, and this year in the NFL is not going to be fair. So I'll leave that there. Let's get into some football talk now with Troy Vincent and then with Emmanuel Ogba of the Miami Dolphins. And we'll start off this week with the NFL Executive Vice President of Football Operations, Troy Vincent. Happy to be joined on the podcast by Troy Vincent, the NFL's Executive Vice President of Football Operations. We record this shortly after 5 p.m. on Tuesday. The NFL had a virtual league meeting on Tuesday in which they passed two rather significant um, you know, amendments that Troy Vincent and I need to discuss in some good detail. And Troy, I appreciate you joining me. Let's start with the amendment that is G6A uh, on your, uh, you know, on your uh, program today. And that was the amendment to allow possibly, it's not certain, but possibly an eighth playoff team per conference. Why was this proposed? Why did it pass? So it, we actually, this was something that was created by the in-season committee, Peter, which we've talked about before. Um, so starting back in August. That's the eight-member committee, right? Players and former NFL executives and coaches. Yes, sir. With former, four former co um, competition committee members. Okay. So back in August, we just began thinking of contingency planning and scenarios in the event, which is critical in the event that we were not able to play the 256 regular season games in that 17 week window or 18, let's just say 17 week window. And the thought here was to, what's the best scenario? What's the best scenario of um, if, you, you, if, if you have unplayed games, 
how do you account for them? Um, and at the end of the day, Peter, what was what was passed was really we stayed inside of we uh, added an additional two teams. But we now we went back to the normal format of the division winner. Still, where the, 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 the it was proposed, the original proposal was the, the it was all based off a of winning percentage. And just because you were a divisional winner did not mean that you would get to traditional home field advantage. So um, now it just goes strictly to divisional winner and then those next um, and you and then you would incorporate uh, winning percentage in that as well for the total of the one through eight seating. OK, so the four division winners will automatically make the playoffs. Yes. OK. Yep. And the uh the four wild card teams uh basically will be added to the playoffs based on likely based on the regular scenario you know of uh, of what their record is but could be based on winning percentage if every team at the end of the season does not play 16 games Correct. If, if you don't mind, I'll just share with you. Just I just had took some notes post that as we were yeah. just finishing up. So uh, the way it reads is the eight teams qualifying for postseason play in each conference shall consist of the four divisional winners within the conference, the four additional teams with the best winning percentage. The eight teams will be seated as follow: the division champion with the best winning percentage, the division champion with the second best winning percentage, the division champion with the third best winning percentage, the division champion with the fourth best winning percentage, the wild card team with the best winning percentage, the wild card team with the second best winning percentage down the line. So that is that is the the formatting of right. what it looked like um, in postseason play. In there, event, right. If, the, there we, was a time, correct? There was a time that there was consideration for not giving the four division winners, they would make the playoffs, but not giving them the top four seeds. Is that correct? That is correct. And, and what, it, the, the thought was there was if any time you could maybe change up some things in the current environment, why reward a team that frankly may win their division with five wins? Why reward them with a a a home game against a, the team that might win ten or eleven? Correct. <laughs> and that was frankly that was a debate, Peter, of the committee for quite some time. Yeah, for quite some time. What eventually, what eventually turned the tide against it? I would just say, when you think about the team or the divisions that were um, tradition, really the best way to answer this tradition, and not yeah. moving away from. Uh, tradition um, in a year where we've had a lot of uncertainty. And if we didn't have to do it, why do it? So um, it again, it was just one one minor edit or tweak. Um, but everything else uh, that the in-season competitive committee laid out was put in place. Is there any way that sanity can prevail in the playoffs and we can please not have uh, potentially a team with seven or eight wins in a regular season, a normal regular season, not host a playoff game against a team that might have even 11 or 12 wins. I think eventually we may get there. 
I think what we're seeing, which potentially could occur, and we still got a lot of ball to play, but what potentially can occur, I think it lends to that discussion. Yeah. I think it lends I, to that discussion. I, I, I really hope it does. So let me ask you one other thing about this. You passed this today with the idea that still, you know, the Players Association has to approve this. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay, so do you have any significant question whether they might approve this or not? I don't. And it's, again, it's a contingency plan in a vision in, in, in hopes that we don't have to, but we have to do proper planning. Again, you got two more teams playing. So as a player, you're feed in the field. So right. I, I think, again, the executive committee, D, their leadership, uh, they'll make that decision. But I just can't see why more players won't, wouldn't want to participate. You're adding two more teams into that, that field of play um, at a chance for the Lombardi Trophy. Um, if I'm a player, my hand's up. I'll tell you, the first thing that went through my mind about this, Troy, is I started to think about how incredibly interesting the weekend of January 10th could be. When, okay, so normally, you know, historically, the week of January 10th, the first, the first week of the playoff, the wild card week, has had four games. This year, if this is passed, to have eight games on wild card weekend. We were all in Peter, but that's the beauty of it. I kind of like it. Different, yeah. but yeah, the no wild card weekend, you going. One is one is rolling. No buys. You coming right off the regular season. You don't have extra rest. Everybody's banged up. It's you you gotta rock. Yeah. Um I'm sure this is way, way, way too early. That wild card weekend, could you see a chance that one of those eight games or more might be played on Monday night? I think all things are on the table. Very possible. I'm gonna leave that up to Howard and Hans and you know Howard Katz, your guy, you, you know, who the, the schedule Mike. maker. Yes. Look, and in a year like this, you know why I thought of that originally? Because in a year like this, Troy, where you guys have lost, honestly, you've lost multiple billions of dollars in this year because of the pandemic and the fact that so much local revenue for teams is out the window because they're not able to have fans at games. And this, who knows? I, I have no idea what pick a network, ESPN, I, I don't know, would end up paying for a wild card game. I mean, who knows? It could defray some of that. But the one other question I have about this is, tell me how the eight games, that are the eight teams in the playoffs, tell me how that is activated uh, for this year's postseason. So the format started with the if you if teams don't play the 256 regular season games. So all this is all triggered by if you don't if you have unequal unequal um, number of games being played, then you go to winning percentage. Right. And that that, that again, and I think it's simple now. Frankly, we've simplified it today. When you just talk talking about the divisional winners, but it, it is triggered by unequal 
number of games being played. Right. There, there could, you know, you look at, uh, you know, last week there was, I think, 56 both players and, and key personnel in the NFL testing positive. You see the news every day. Uh, the epidemic is coming back. And I just think it's almost unrealistic to think there might not be another Tennessee or, or whatever it is. So there could well be a need Don't for us. I know, I know. I'm just, hey, look, I'm just being real. But I, last night. What's that? Week 10 kicked off. I know, I know. So, so anyway, tell me this. Just tell me, I would assume that you would not necessarily be inclined. Let's say you had three games to make up that might require a week 18. Would you be less inclined if those teams basically, if they were not playing for any playoff, you know, ramifications? Yes, yeah, so that was discussed, Peter. And, and frankly, I, that was one of the things that I discussed in my opening remarks was to give the commissioner in his office the ability to reserve week 18 as right. a potential week. We've been using a term of like a play in. But if you're not in that that winning percentage to to seed you, uh, that has been a discussion. But we really want to preserve the week 18 for those who may be in that playoff potentially right, right. field. Yeah, you know, it doesn't make sense and I won't whatever whatever it is. I mean, if if you know, Philadelphia and the Giants are playing uh I think in week 18 or week 17 and for the sake of argument if they weren't able to play because of whatever, it almost really doesn't make a lot of sense to have them play even if let's say Philadelphia wins the division if the Giants aren't playing for anything and the Eagles are going to win the division anyway. That's the kind of thing that I say, why is there such a rush to play this game? Now, I guess if there's seven other games you have to play, maybe you'd play it anyway, you know, but, but yeah. So, Peter, one thing also, which is why the PA must um, agree with this, because if, you, if that is the case, what do you do? Because if you don't pay, you don't play. You don't, you don't pay. pay, yeah. You don't pay. So I just think that is something that I th- – I'm confident that both D um, and commissioner will work out, but those are some of the things that are still, you know, still left to just be discussed. Hopefully we don't get there. Right. Okay. Um, In our time remaining, let's talk about the other uh, major thing you, you passed uh, the bylaw JC two a, which essentially um, if, and I'll use a real world example, if, Kansas City offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, who is black, gets a head coaching job somewhere in the league. The team that hires Eric Bieniemy does not get a benefit from that, but the team that loses Eric Bieniemy and has to replace Eric Bieniemy after developing Eric Bieniemy gets two third-round draft choices. Give me your view about why you believe that this is going to have some sort of positive impact uh, on the minority hiring issue. Well, I think it's part of the collection uh, collection of things that were put in place. And I just look at it. I'm going to use this term um, this evening. Like we've really had a reform, a complete reform around our hiring practices. So when you think about the anti-tampering, what we did there with club structure, roles and responsibilities being clearly defined, you think about our media policy, to garner more exposure for, for minority candidates. 
the Rooney Rule, expanding the Rooney Rule. Now you add the resolution uh, G6A, which is the rewards, the seven-point mobility plan, which we've talked about. I think the collection of all of these things, the effort is there. We just need to see this come to pass. I think everything has been in place. It's been a complete reform of the system. But we want to make sure in this one, we went back to its original roots. It's the original concept, which is reward the team that has identified and developed. It, it took another course a few months back when it started talking about incentives. Nope, this is clean. If you've identified, you've developed, and he's been with you, either him or her has been with your club for a minimum of two seasons, you now get rewarded for the development of that employee. So I think it's clean, Peter. I really, uh, just based off of being part of all each discussion, it complements the entire system that has been put in place or at least set forth. I think the better rule that you established this year was the rule that says, in essence, now you've got to uh, interview two minority candidates before you have a head coaching hire. And you also have to interview minority candidates, one minority candidate, if, if you're going to hire a coordinator. Those are the things. Because even though I do like this rule, you know, let's say the New York Jets interview Eric Bieniemy. I mean, and again, I'm not saying they don't care, but they're not going to be incentivized to hire Eric Bieniemy in any way over, let's say, you know, a white assistant coach because they don't get anything out of that. The Chiefs do, but it doesn't really matter for the Jets. But I do think what you're saying is correct that the entire the entirety of this is better than it was a year ago. Night and day. And I, I think the point that you made around, I do believe the amendment in the anti-tampering policy, coupled with that expansion of now with the coordinator's position, offense, defense, and a special teams coordinator, it opens up the pool. And then expanding the number of applicants. So now I, we believe that the club will exceed the two, which is a good thing. But now you have the two for the head coach, two, uh, two, uh, one for GM. I mean, for uh, position coaches, coordinator position. Coordinator. Yeah. yeah, I think all of those things richens the pool, yeah. um, increases the pool, which hopefully that we get better. You know, we'll, we'll get some some winning results. I want to ask you just a personal question about this because you and I had a conversation in the spring about this. I mean. I don't want to overstate this, but you were significantly wounded personally by what happened in the hiring process last year and what's happened basically the last couple of years. And there is, you feel like you definitely have a skin in this game, don't you? Absolutely. And the torch has been passed, as I, and I referenced this, Peter, in our last conversation. The number of people that have come before me fighting, both white and black, club, princi club principal owners. Today, as and I just look at my mentor, Wooten, as he has transitioned away, that this fight, I was looking at a quote from 
2000, uh, 2002 around the disparities in the hiring practices of men of color. And I think it's important that we put, it's important that we speak to black coaches and black general managers have disproportionately been, been minimized. And yes, it's personal because when I see, and I think when our game sees that the best that's that the best that we have from your Jim Caldwell's, your Jerry Reese's, the Rick Smith's, when these individuals, your Reggie McKenzie's, when these individuals are not getting an opportunity, that's not in the best interest of the game. So it has to be personal um, to everybody because we this is our issue. And I, I just hope that other people feel the same way I feel because it makes our game better. When these individuals are part of the game, our game is better. It's more competitive. And that's what's, you know, frankly, some it's hurtful when you see, and I've shared this with the commissioner, when the best aren't getting an opportunity, we, we got challenges. We got challenges. You know what I find interesting about this issue is that, you know, um, I, I look back to when Mike Tomlin got the job in Pittsburgh in 2007. And what I find so interesting about that is, uh, you know, I talked to Art Rooney about this, the, the, the uh, Steelers owner last week. And Art Rooney did not know Mike Tomlin when he walked into his office for an interview. Dan Rooney did not know Mike Tomlin. They had been told by a couple of people, including Tony Dungy, you really should talk to this guy. He is impressive. They didn't know him at all. And, you know, you know, Dan, you knew Dan Rooney, obviously. To me, he is one of the most real and open-minded people I've met in my life. And what I find so interesting about this and why I believe the Rooney rule at its heart is such a great rule. It doesn't work all the time, but when it does work, it's really good. And Mike Tomlin getting the Steeler job, the reason that that worked is that the two guys who were going to make the decision, Art Rooney, Dan Rooney, had never met Mike Tomlin, didn't know him at all. But Mike Tomlin sat in there for two and a half hours. And he stated his case about why he should be the next guy to lead the Pittsburgh Steelers for, you know, you know, Nolan Cower, the guy to lead the Steelers for the next 10 or 15 years. And, and they were so impressed afterwards that Dan Rooney picked up the phone, called Tony Dungy, and he goes, I, I mean, we didn't know anything about this guy, but I'll tell you, he's a real candidate. We got to have a long conversation. And at the time, Tony's coach in Tampa and, uh, or Tony's coach in Indianapolis, and they're in the playoffs. But Tony takes the time that day to talk to him at length about him. And to me, that is really neat. When you say, well, we've got an open mind. I mean, really, do you have an open mind? That, to me, is vitally important. So, Peter, one other thing I would I would just, as we're in preparation for this uh, conversation here, I just went back and just looked because I'm constantly reminded. When I look at, there were three people. Three, three, three coaches, three black coaches that got interviewed last year, and it was five, five head coaching jobs. The Eric Bieniemy, 
Marvin Lewis and Chris, 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 Chris Richard. I mean, yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, and Eric was the only one who had, you know, multiple teams. And I look at their counterparts, I'm looking at 15, 16 different people. That's not what's best for the game. And the same thing applied for the general manager's position. I can go back multiple years. This is not the best representation of the National Football League. Yeah. So, you know, that's but we all have to work towards it. And I must say, and I said this. What Commissioner and Chairman Rooney and the committee with John Mayer, Ozzie, Kim Bagula, uh, Michael Bidwell, George McCaskey, uh, Javier Loya and Ar Arthur Blank, they challenged us. So I'm going to use that term. There was a complete reform of this system. That anti-tampering policy, when we put it on the floor, we had someone say on the floor, I have seen this over the last 30 years. That was a comment that was made. And the anti-tampering anti rule basically is that you can't hire somebody. Uh, you can invent these, these titles, right? Correct. It, it, which teams have done forever to prevent you from stealing their guys. Correct. And when yeah. you hear that, you go, that, well, the, the, the resolution is on the table and go discussion. Well, we have seen this for the last 30 years in some kind of way, shape or form. Why are we doing this? But I, but to the credit. They, they, they pushed it through and it went through. That was significant. There is no way Deuce Daly, my former teammate, should have been denied a offensive coordinator position because he carried the title of assistant head coach, but he's the running back coach in Philadelphia. Yeah. That's so I just think the collection of all of the things that were put in place, even the, the, the most say, well, why would you change the media policy? Cause it's significant when people have an opportunity for other folks to one, get in front of the camera, the podium and talk about what they do, game planning, how they how they develop players, all of those little things add up. And today, I, I believe it's it's a part of that collection of the overall efforts. Um, I think it's good. I think we're moving in the right direction. Do you personally have a goal for this off season? And I'll just pick a. If there are six openings for coaches, do you have a number in your head that you'd really like to see for that minority coaches? How many minority coaches would get hired? No, sir. And and that that question, Stephen, I hear people say, well, should we look at the the, the population rate of blacks at 13 percent? Should we look at the number of blacks, the 77 to 80 percent of blacks? And should that be? No. In the just, NFL, you mean players in the, in the NFL? Yeah. In the NFL. Why? Why? Why have a glass ceiling? Just hire the best people. Yeah. Interview the best people and make a good football decision. But I, you can't tell me Eric Bieniemy, Todd Bowles, Jim Caldwell, Tony Elliott, Leslie Frazier, Pep Hamilton, Byron Letwich, Marvin Lewis, uh, Mark Mel Tucker. These men are ready. You can't tell me they're not ready. At minimum, should not be receiving a call for an interview. Right. So, you know, I'm just... Um, I'm hoping that these things change on, on the GM front. I just got to share it. Ray Farmer, you know, you look at Martin Mayhew, Jerry Reese, Lewis Riddick, Rick Smith. Are you kidding me? Yeah. 
Are you really kidding me? So we got, we got, we got challenge, but there's some things been put in place and we'll see the outcome come February. You know, I'm going to just leave you with this, but last week on this podcast, I had a writer from the ringer named Tyler Tynes and he did a really, really good story about why so many black coaches around the country, not just in the NFL, but in college football and even going back to high, going down to high school are depressed because upward mobility is terrible, you know, in, in all, in all uh, uh, forms of football. But he had a great line. He goes, you know, there are no black wonder kind coaches, you know, like you've got Sean McVay, you've got Zach Taylor, you've got Matt LaFleur, you've got Joe Brady. And, you know, you have owners saying to these guys, here are the keys to our castle. Take them and do whatever you want, you know. And and again, look, I'm not trying to be uh, really I, I don't even know what the right word to say, but I'm not trying to make this more of an issue than it is. But it's pretty it's not so coincidental that every one of those guys is white, you know, and that's why to me, like, let's say a Tony Elliott. Nobody knows who he is, who might listen to this podcast, really. But he's the offensive coordinator at Clemson. He has been the guy behind some great offenses and some great quarterbacks like Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, some great offensive talent. Uh, you, you know, you add in, you know, they got five guys picked in the first round every year. So anyway, I guess my point is, man, Peter, I don't know why you do, nobody's interviewing Tony Elliott to do something in the NFL. You said you don't want to make it an issue. It is an issue. Yeah. And it's for our great game. It's a blemish on our great game. These are great. They're they're great men. They're great leaders of men. They're innovative. We just lack the opportunity. Troy Vincent, NFL Executive Vice President of Football Operations. Thanks for joining me to talk about these two issues. Both really important. I think the second one is a lot more important than the first. But thanks so much for taking all the time. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
And now the pass rusher for the Miami Dolphins, Emmanuel Ogba. Back on the Peter King podcast. So happy to be joined by Emmanuel Ogba, um, who really is a heck of a football player who you never really got to see uh, how good he was really until this year with the Miami Dolphins with their defense. And uh, one of the league leaders this year with seven sacks, finally healthy. We're glad that he could join us on the podcast. Hello, Emmanuel. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, just happy to be on the show and I'm ready to answer your questions. <laughs> okay, good, good. Okay, so Emmanuel, I, I'm going to ask you plenty of questions about the Dolphins on a four-game winning streak, but I think your story is really, really, inc- it's an incredible story, okay? Sure. You were born in Nigeria, and you basically came to the United States, I think to Texas, right, when you were nine years old. So I That's really right. want to start off by hearing the story about why you moved to Texas when you were nine years old. Yeah, so my dad just had in mind that he wanted a better life for his kids. And there was a lot of corruption back in the day in Nigeria. So that was the main reason why he wanted to move his family just for a better life. And I'm just glad and appreciative he did that because I would not be in a position I'm in if he hadn't done that. Do you have many memories of being a young boy in Nigeria? Um, here and there, I, I, I had a glimpse of it here and there, but really, uh, I don't really remember too much of it, Yeah. but, uh, I do remember when I first got to the United States, the first thing I noticed was the traffic lights. <laughs> <laughs> Why? No traffic lights in Lagos? I just didn't see it or I was so young <laughs> that I didn't recognize it, but nah. Really... Did you move to, did you move to Houston right away? Yeah, we moved to Houston. Well, the plan was we were supposed to move to Chicago, but my mom doesn't really like the cold, so Houston yeah. was probably a better fit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you're nine years old. You come to Texas. Yeah. What's your first exposure to football, and what do you think the first time you see it? Uh, this was in seventh grade. Um, I just decided just to try because my friends were playing. I didn't know nothing about football. But I just, I guess I ended up being good at it and I just stuck to it. So I just thought about it. I'm like, hey, this kid, like, give me a scholarship. I could get a scholarship through football, you know, for school. And so I just took it and ran with it. When you first, when you first saw the game, yeah. what did you think of it? It was a very violent game. <laughs> it was a very <laughs> violent, but it, it, it looked fun because I mean, I, I played basketball, which I was kind of too aggressive for basketball, so I felt like football kind of just fit my style of play. And he just kind of just took him out of his own, and I just ran with it. Okay, so you go to Oklahoma State. You get to be pretty good. You're drafted in the second round by the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. And you lasted in Cleveland three years. It wasn't a great three years, but I wonder – what was your first exposure to pro football like? What did you think of, you know, the whole situation in Cleveland with the, the crazy fans and they want you to be good so bad? Tell me about your three years in Cleveland. I would say it was it was, it was felt with a lot of emotions, you know, losing sucks. I hate losing with a passion and losing sucks, but they some diehard fans, you know, um, 
we might be we lost we we went zero and sixteen and we still had fans at the stadium. That's how <laughs> diehard they are. And it was just it was a I feel like it was a humbling experience for me because I won a lot of games in Oklahoma. And then when I went to Cleveland, then we lost a lot of games. But it's just a humbling experience for me, and I'm just grateful to be able to experience that. And you know, last year I ended up in a Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl title with the Chiefs. So you know, it's just a humbling experience, and I'm blessed I was able to go through that experience. So when you get traded to Kansas City, tell me when you first heard that you're being traded to the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. And Andy Reid, tell me what your thought was. Uh, I was filled with emotion because I I wanted to spend the rest of my career with Cleveland. You know, you always want that the team that drafted you. But I know I had an opportunity, and my agent called me and told me, "Hey, the um, Kansas City Chiefs are trading for you." So I was really excited. I was blessed. Um, I knew I had a chance to go team up with the winners, and so I was just. I mean, I was I was excited to go up there. You know, Patrick, you always hear about Patrick Mahomes doing amazing things. Also, I played with Tyreek in college, so and Chris Jones too. I trained with him, so I was kind of familiar with those boys. So I was happy to be a part of the team. Um, for those who wouldn't know about this, yeah. tell me what it's like to practice against Patrick Mahomes. Oh. <laughs> Whatever you see on on Sundays, he's doing ten times what he's doing. <laughs> all those trick plays, he does it all at practice too. Like they say, you practice how you play. He does exactly every day at practice. So, and so the, does a lot of special things. The crazy plays, like the no look passes, that's oh, yeah. not at all surprising to you. Oh, not at all. No, he does that on the regular. Just up. Oh. <laughs> just randomly just throw it and he very accurate with it too so he's very very talented player sure. yeah so Emmanuel you play you're you're having a good year for the Chiefs you got five and a half sacks and then you tear your pectoral and you're gone for the year what kind of emotional ride was that for you I'm not gonna lie it was rough it was it was it was it was very rough back then you know I was and I was feeling a lot of emotions, crying, just asking God why, why it happened now, why I finally start to do my thing, why it happened. But I just prayed about it and I just let him handle me. I just let him, I told him, just use me. And and it's been a blessing so far this year and, and he's shown what he can do. So. so you get your Super Bowl ring last year, even though you don't play. Yeah. What do you remember about Super Bowl Sunday? <laughs> well, it was crazy because we were down, and I wanted to be out there so bad, so. Where so did you bad. tell tell me? Where did you watch the game? No, I was in the stands watching the game. You're so in the stands. Yeah, I was watching the game. I wanted to be there so bad. Even when we went down at the time, I was like, I know we need a big play here. We need a big play. I wish I was on the field too give that big play, but I'm just glad those guys, they pulled it off. You know, we worked very hard to get in that position. I'm glad they pulled it off. You're down by 10. There's seven and a half minutes to go. You guys call a timeout. Patrick comes to the sidelines to Eric Bieniemy, and I'm sure you find out about this later. He says, hey, do we have time to run Wasp, two-jet chip Wasp? And, of course, they say, yeah, you can run it, and that play happens. That really – 
impressed me just from the standpoint of the players saying, can we do this? And the coaches mm-hmm. saying, okay, yeah, if this is the play you like, we'll do it. That's the thing I like about the culture in Kansas City. It feels like the players have a voice. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's all about trust, too. The players trust the coaches, and the coaches trust the players, and they trust Mahomes to go go out there and execute the game plan, and that's what they ended up doing. And thank God they did. Thank God they trusted. So. When you became a free agent in the offseason, did part of you say, man, I wish there was some way that the Chiefs could find the money to sign me because I love it here? Or did you say, you know, I want to go somewhere else? No, obviously I won a Super Bowl and obviously I wanted to stay there. But I guess, you know, God had, had other plans and, and Miami Dolphins gave me a big opportunity and I took it and ran with it. So. Um, what was this off season like for you knowing that, hey, I'm going to a new team. It's going to be cool. We're going to get to practice. I'm going to get to know all my new teammates. And then all of a sudden, bang, you can't see anybody. You can't hang out with anybody. You can't go do anything or go to meals or anything with anybody. You're like, you're somewhere just, you know, meeting these teammates, you know, on a Zoom meeting or whatever. And tell me what your off season was like moving to a new team but getting to know people just like we're talking right now. Oh, yeah, it was definitely hard, you know, because you need that uh, face-to-face meeting just to, you know, meet everybody, see how everybody's doing, just get to know people. But um, um, thank God for Zoom, you know, it definitely helped out a lot, <laughs> meeting a lot of people. Uh, and also 2020 has been, has been crazy. But the good thing about um, – this whole situation, actually, I trained down here in South Florida, so I was already down here. So it was just an easy transition for me to just call the movers just to move my stuff from Kansas City to here because I was already looking for a place to stay down here anyway. And then my agent gave me a call and told me, hey, I think the Dolphins really interested. So it, it just worked out perfectly for me. Wow. So you worked out this offseason in Miami and you were going to do that anyway? Yeah, I trained. Every offseason, wow. I come to Miami to train. So I was already down here training and before I got the call. Wow. Um, so you go to training camp then with the Dolphins. And I'm the thing I'm most curious about, because when I ever think about you, I think, man, how great would it be to see this guy play 16 games, what he could do if he has a full season? So tell me about you as you're entering training camp and sort of what's going through your head? Just um, making sure my body, everything is right, taking care of myself, really actually spending money to take care of myself, uh, just just doing the necessary stuff, you know, the rehab and all. I attack it hard, and I stay on top of it. Even though I feel good, I still stay on top of it. You know, that's one thing I didn't do in the past. And I'm just um, – happy to be fully recovered from that pectoral surgery and I still do rehab work for my pectoral just because you know just to stay up top stay on top of it so um if you could point to one reason why this defense fits you and you fit in this defense of the dolphins what would it be I guess it starts with coaching. They trust me. I trust them. 
they put me in the right position to make plays. And I just go out there and give it all I got for this team. And also, this team is like a brotherhood. We want each other to succeed. It's like there's no real egos out here. There's no like, oh, no, I'm making more than you. No, you do this. No, we all brothers. We love each other. We want each other to succeed. I learned a lot about your defense watching your game against the Rams. You, You guys are a bunch of swarming dogs. I mean, that was because, look, you you watch them on tape. That's a good offense. That's a good quarterback. It's a good line. And he just couldn't breathe the entire game. And I wonder what what sort of mentally is in the minds of the guys, especially on your defensive front, about making the quarterback as uncomfortable as clearly you did with Jared Goff that day. Obviously, offense, the key to stopping the offense starts with the quarterback. If you can affect them, you can affect the game. And so that was our game plan, just to attack them as much as we can. And um, we just went out there. Josh, Coach Boyer had a good game plan for us, and we went out there and executed. And we and Coach 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 Flores preached every day, we got to run to the ball, we got to attack the football, and that's what we've been doing this whole year. Emmanuel, I want to ask you about Brian Flores because – not many people really know your coach. You know, he was kind of hidden while he was with the Patriots because that's the way Bill Belichick likes it. You don't really get to know the coaches or their personalities. And and he's really been sort of a quiet, all-business guy in Miami. I wonder. So tell me, what is Brian Flores like? He's definitely a player's coach. He loves his players. Um he wants the best out of his players. He pushes his players hard. And yeah, sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's like, man, coach on my ass again. <laughs> but uh no, nah, he just wants his best. He wants the best out of his players, you know. Also, obviously it's a job too. So we go out there, we ground for each other, we play for each other, you know. He's a great leader for us, and you know, he leads us into battle and we just go out there as we keep on. Can you have you can you tell me a story about your um, your experience with Coach Flores and does he sometimes really get on you and what is that like? Well, nah, he's uh he's he's like one of those coaches that he would get on you because he knows you're better than what you're given. Also, that he would get on you in that way. But yeah, he always just wants the best for his players, and he always looks out for his players. And I'm I'm appreciated to have a coach like that. Yeah, yeah. One last thing I would ask you. So a lot of people will look at your team right now and they'll wonder, you know, to me, I think they'll say, man, watching them, their defense really looks good enough. And the question is, how quickly can Tua get up to speed? And so I wonder, tell me, you've now practiced against Tua for half a season. You've watched him play. Tell me about him as a player and whether you believe that, you know, he can get up to speed and play some of the best teams in the NFL and beat him. Oh, yeah. Tua's a ball player. He's always been a ball player ever since Bama. So we believe in him. We support him. We go out there. We battle for him. And um, we just – I feel like Tua can be as good as he want to be. Um yeah, he's still young, but he's learning, and he's a natural-born leader. So that's one one thing I admire about Tua. He's a natural-born leader, and he's just 
he goes out there and gives it all. He wants to make plays. He loves to make plays, and that's what we need from a quarterback. Yeah. Well, look, Emmanuel, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for uh, explaining your life to people. Really, it's been a it's really been a fascinating life so far. I bet you're you've got to be pretty happy with it. Oh yeah, it's definitely been an experience. Like I said, I take it all in. Like I always say, God has a plan for my life, and He's using me, and I'm just letting Him use me. I, I, you know, your dad has to be thinking to himself right now. I had no idea that my son would be playing football on national television every week when I uh, when I moved the, the, the family to Texas. Do you think part of him is a little bit shocked? Oh yeah, for sure. Especially my mom. <laughs> My mom, after, my mom didn't want me to play football because she thought it was too, too, too violent or too dangerous. But I kind of convinced her it's what I love. It's what I love to do. So she couldn't stop me. Hey, listen, all the best to you. Good luck the rest of the way. I'm sure we'll talk before it's over. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. My thanks to Troy Vincent, Emmanuel Agba. A really informative, fun uh, podcast this week, just because I think the one thing I really wanted to get out of Troy Vincent, I'm glad he was forthcoming on it we're in a period now where we're not sure that there's going to be uh six or there's going to be eight playoff teams per conference we just we don't know that right now but right now the nfl has the ability if it needs to play uh, to have an extra playoff team per conference you can have that eighth playoff team and you know i did not get into it with troy vincent but i'll tell you What really hits me about this rule is that, you know, I think the Pittsburgh Steelers, who you won't see complaining publicly about it, but the Pittsburgh Steelers have a reason to say, man, we're getting jobbed. Because remember, the Steelers had their bye week changed this year and moved back or moved ahead to week four because they had to have their game against the Tennessee Titans postponed. And so you say, well, why bring that up now? Well, because the changing of the bye to early in the season made the Steelers play the last 13 weeks of the regular season. If you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, 
and you go uh, 15 and one or 14 and two and clearly win uh, top seed in the AFC, if, 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 we don't know that's going to happen, but if that happens, and then your reward is to play a playoff game on wild card weekend, I'll tell you, if I'm if I'm Mike Tomlin, if I'm the Steelers with a 38-year-old quarterback, I'm not really happy with that. But again, not much you can do. I am really glad you joined me this week for the podcast. Come back next week where I'll just invent a podcast on the fly again next Tuesday so you could hear it on Wednesday of this very, very curious National Football League season. Thanks for listening, everybody. Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.